Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about reminiscing versus storytelling is Catherine Fassbender. Catherine is the creator of Dementia Letters Project and the granddaughter of someone who lived with vascular dementia. Playing a range of roles, she walks with those on their dementia journey, magnifying the importance of creativity and human connection. Digging into her art bin as a classically trained musician, studio artist, theater maker, and using her academic foundation in the creative arts therapies, Kate serves others on the pillars of education, life enrichment, and support. How are you doing today, Kate? I'm well. How are you? Very good. Thank you for joining me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So for those that are joining us today, if you have any questions, I encourage you to type those questions in. Time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get those questions answered. So I'd like to get started with defining what reminiscing is and, and why do we do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the if you were to look up the definition of reminiscing, you'll find it is to indulge in enjoyable recollection of past events. And so it's it's kind of this reflection of your life, of things that you've experienced, um, things that you've collectively experienced with family and with friends, um, with community members. And so it's this very natural place to, to fall into, especially as we get older, um, and even more so as uh, if someone is diagnosed with dementia, as that dementia progresses and that short-term memory becomes weaker and we start to look more at the long-term memory and that emotional memory that, you know, that never really leaves us um, through the dementia journey. And so it's kind of this very comfortable, almost place to fall into. Um, and we all kind of do it. I think you don't have to necessarily be an older adult to reminisce. I know I sometimes will reminisce about things that happened when I was in grade school or middle school or high school. Um, and so it's not a bad thing. However, when we focus on reminiscing, when we make reminiscing the goal of a connection, the goal of a program, the goal of um, our community's engagement, there can be some sticky situations that we walk into because by making reminiscing the goal, we are coming from a place of romanticizing the past and assuming that that individual wants to relive parts of their past. Um, especially in a group setting, you may have some people who they want to talk about, um, World War II is an easy example, um, they want to talk about the time of World War II, how their community came together, how they, you know, they remember tasting that first Hershey bar after the war had ended. They want to talk about those things where another person may have had an entirely different experience during that time. And for them, that brings up anxiety. It brings up anger. It may bring up fear. Um, it may bring up resentment. Um, you know, all these range of negative emotions can also go along with that, you know, enjoyable and that that kind of, oh, wasn't that wonderful that we did this kind of way of having a conversation um, when you lean into reminiscing. And so it can be harmful. Um, I know just looking at my grandparents alone, I had grandparents that loved to reminisce. They loved not necessarily reliving the glory days, but they loved talking about things that they experienced, even if it was a difficult time, um, talking about how they overcame that and and the good that may have come because they had that experience. And I've had grandparents who all it did was stir up negative emotions and 
you know, agitation came into play and, you know, a lot of regret and resentment and there wasn't peace in that conversation or in those connections. Um, and so we should never make reminiscing a goal of any relationship, of any connection, of any program, that sort of thing, because we don't know where that person is. And it also may change day to day. You may have one day when that person wants to talk about that time, that struggle, that joy, and there may be a day when they want nothing to do with it. Um, and we don't know just you know, in a basic greeting, what, what that day might be like for them, if it's gonna be a day where they're gonna enjoy it or not. Um, and so one thing that we can do to replace reminiscing, because one of the things about reminiscing, you know, as, you know, as I said earlier, um, the short-term memory goes away, the long-term memory kind of sticks along with that emotional memory, is it gives, it gives an individual something to talk about um, and something to feel like they have, they have something to offer the conversation or the connection. Um, and what we can do to replace reminiscing so we don't get into that sticky situation is storytelling. And now there's a lot of research um, behind storytelling, and I won't get into all the, the details of that research, but you do, you know, quick um, Google search of storytelling and aging or storytelling and dementia, and you'll find lots and lots of, of resources and kind of thought processes behind why it works and why it's important. Um, and if we were to look at the definition of storytelling, we know it's an, an activity of telling or writing stories. And so what does that do? That allows our connection and our relationship to open up. And so suddenly, instead of being forced to look at the past, we are allowed to go through that ebb and flow of talking about a present moment, talking about the past, if they remember a moment from last week of a meal that they had that, you know, that because um, emotional memory, they'll, they'll still be able to remember, even if they don't remember all the details around it. So they may remember that great dinner they had last Thursday because it stuck with them. It was their favorite meal and it, it kind of, it connected with them on that emotional level. And so storytelling allows for room to have conversations about that meal. Why was it a favorite meal? Um, did you did you like every part of it? Did you like only a portion of it? And you can allow it to to blend between the now and the past. Because one thing we also know about dementia is they live in a both and time frame. They are in many ways fully present in this moment right here, but they are also fully in the past. And that past is a moving target. It may be when they were five living on the farm with mom and dad, maybe when they got married, when they purchased their first home, it may even be when their spouse died. You know, we don't know where they are in the past. And so by opening up to storytelling, we allow to move fluidly through their life. We also allow opportunity to move fluidly between what really happened and what they wish could have happened or to tell, you know, to tell a story as we know, you know, with the fiction and the nonfiction. And it's in there that we also tap into creative engagement, which also has lots of research as to why it is good for us, why it is important, and how it helps us become relational with others, dementia or not. Um, and so storytelling becomes this foundation where it doesn't put us in a position of assuming they want to talk about the past. 
it doesn't put us in a position of romanticizing something that they may not romanticize. Um, and it allows for them to continue to create and to continue to share their story, but in an open framework um, where they don't have to have all the facts right. If they thought they got married in May of 15, you know, 1950, but it was really June of 1950. And it doesn't matter if they said the wrong month. It's the emotion, it's the experience of remembering that day and how important it was to them that matters, not the facts. And sometimes when we get into reminiscing, family members um, will interject and say, oh no, mom, remember it was this. By storytelling, you don't have that. Um, saying, oh, wait, no, remember, um, which is, again, a word that you don't really want to use when working with somebody with dementia because um, they may not remember or they remember it in a different way because of where they are in their life's journey at this point. And so there are many ways that we can enter into storytelling. It You can enter in the way it looks you know, it would look very much like entering into reminiscing, um, where you ask a question that is open-ended, that's not a yes, you know, not a yes, no question, but something that may say, you know, Grandma, tell me again about that time when you would bake rolls with your mom to help feed the farmhands. You know, it opens up that space, but we don't have to stay there. So it can start as traditional conversations and how we think of reminiscing starts. It can also start um, by using other objects, things, things around us, um, music as prompts. So Anne Basting, who is the founder of Time Slips, um, really has honed this great uh, method of using images as prompts. Um, and that, so how that works is, um, you show an image and the image will not have anybody that you necessarily know. So it's not gonna be a picture of Frank Sinatra or it's not gonna be a picture of your cousin and your aunt. It's gonna be people that you you don't know who they are. Um, it's also gonna have some type of movement in it. And so you show the image, you see if there's a connection there and then you dive into creating a story around this image. And you start again by asking open-ended questions as Anne Basing calls them, beautiful questions. And so I usually start by you diving into the senses. What do you think the air smells like for that individual in the picture? What do you think they're hearing? What do you think they're seeing? What are the, you know, their gaze is obviously directing so, directed somewhere. What are they looking at? Doing things like that, if they're eating an ice cream cone, what flavor ice cream cone is it? What does that taste like? Do you like ice cream? Allowing for it to kind of jump in and out of that story. And what I have found is, you know, we start there and then we go into naming the individuals in the story. We go into naming their life, you know, going, describing their life's story. And even though we enter it thinking that this is just going to be something we make up, I've never left a story where their life has not been woven deeply into that story as well. So an example of it, um, I was doing an image with a woman creating a story. And after the story, you know, in the character in the story, um, studied agriculture, um, fought in World War One and in Vietnam and, you know, Korea and was this accomplished person within their community and did all these things. And I found out after we created that story, 
that that was her husband. And so now because we had that connection, and while there certainly were things that that wasn't her husband, you know, the name was not her husband, you know, where he was living, the time frame, that was not her husband, but the characteristics and some of the life events of that, you know, the person in the picture was very much her husband. And so we could then use that as points to become relational which allowed us to do other things. It allowed us to, instead of bumping heads when I needed to make sure that she got to her doctor's appointment on time, it allowed us to, to be relational and to have a conversation and to accomplish a task that care partners, especially on the professional side, um, have to accomplish. You know, when you're a CNA or an activities specialist in a community, you have your list and you have your timeline. But if you use story to, to connect with them, to become relational, that to-do list suddenly is not necessarily a to-do list. It's just ways to connect. Um, and you can use this process with music, listening to music. Did you ever see uh, your local symphony perform this piece? You know, and diving into that and again, allowing that personal life to be fluidly blended into pieces that are made up and pieces for connection and then allowing your personal story to be woven into that again tapping into that emotional memory and allowing them that great privilege and gift of being able to relive the past but also be in the present moment and to discover ways to become when you're reminiscing you're stuck in this what they were Mm-hmm. not who they wish to become. And even though they may have dementia, even though they may be in a wheelchair in a skilled care community, and it's not projected they're going to live much more than a year, they still deserve the respect and the dignity of being offered the chance to become who they wish to become. Now, obviously, if they wish to become, say, an engineer, they're not going to be able to become an engineer. But what elements can you pull from that profession into their life by creating a story you you know the character in the story if you're using time slips and they say they want to become an engineer and that's how you discover this you may go oh i know somebody in the community who is an engineer let's see if we can connect you now you can have this connection and these conversations and companionship and you can talk about engineering or if there's a certain element of why they are drawn to that what what other activities can we create and form so that we can now offer that chance to dive into that profession or that hobby or that interest in ways that we wouldn't have known about if we stuck ourselves in the bucket of reminiscing and not allowing us to also look at, at what where we can go um, as individuals. And that is true whether they have two days to live or 20 years to live, they still deserve that opportunity to become. And that's something that creative storytelling um, allows us to figure out what that might be, especially if we're not a family member and we're just coming to you know, know who they are um, during their mid stages of dementia. Uh, we, we, we get to know who they are and it allows us to best serve them so that they can live fully alive. Dementia or not, illness or not, physical ailments or not, um, we can serve them and help them really see their life as full, even as things are being stripped away from them. 
So that is why storytelling is so much more important um, than reminiscing. And again, reminiscing is not bad. We, we all do it. And if you fall into that, allow that to happen. Allow them to, if there's a day when all of a sudden they want to talk about this moment in their life, allow them to do that. Yeah. Take note, pay attention to their facial expressions, how they're holding their body. Um, take also during that time, take note of how's their language? Is it very linear? Is it not? Um, are they jumping from event to event? Because this is also information that can allow us to be better care partners um, down the line, whether we're family or professional. Um, storytelling also allows family members a chance to carry on their legacy. Um, one of the great things that I like about storytelling over reminiscing is that when you say to a family member who is caring for their loved one, you know, enter into storytelling, they're more likely to record that those interactions. So suddenly there's, you know, they're either in a notebook or they're using their phone to record or, you know, whatever it may be. Suddenly in that in that just simple act of recording and writing down that story, they have something they can pass on, giving that individual an opportunity to now give the rest of the family a gift that they might not have had. Um, and you can uncover things about this individual. Um, you know, even if say they weren't, they never studied art, but suddenly they're talking about how they, they love to paint. Well, now you know something about your loved one that you didn't know before if you were focused more on okay, what is the factual events of your life that you're trying to share with us now? Um, and that recording of the storytelling can then be an intergenerational project. If you have someone in your family that loves to draw, if you have someone in your family that likes to um, create in any way, they can take that story and they can you know, type it out and turn it into a piece of art that they can frame and either give to their loved one or keep for themselves. Um, if it's, you know, somebody who loves to compose music, maybe they can, maybe that inspires uh, a music composition. Suddenly this moment that you recorded that you allowed to open up because you weren't set on um, what truly happened, but what, what this, who this person is and what they want to share, you were giving a gift to other people in the family to use it as a point of creation that then can be passed to other families. And so I know families that have books um, of stories that each family member did a little piece of artwork for that story. And it became this family project that connected the generations, that connected people. And it also allows us to, if you are in a family where, you know, there is friction between a relationship, you know, the, you know, pre-dementia or pre this moment in time, there were, there were points of tension. By doing this storytelling, you may now offer points for great enjoyment in that relationship, moments to treasure years after the person passes away or you know, to hold on to if that person then declines to the next level where suddenly they're not talking at all. Um, and it allows for, for, again, that circle of gifts. The person can give a gift to you. You can turn that into something else and give it back or give it to another family member. It allows um, granddaughters to know their grandfathers. It allows mothers to and daughters to actually return to those relationships of mother and daughter instead of person with dementia and, and family caregiver. Um, 
And those are things um, that as, as we go about our interactions, um, be it just trying to provide a meal or taking some time to sit and, and talk with our loved one, um, by using storytelling, we are entering a creative process. We're allowing that emotional memory and that long-term memory to hold a place. We are also allowing us to look forward um, instead of being stuck in a box of, of reminiscing. So um, I, I, I always advocate for storytelling. I try not to bash reminiscing because like I said, it's not a bad thing, but it can stick us in a bad place um, that prevents us from being the best care partners we possibly can be, again, family or professional. And it, it, it strips the person we are serving the opportunity to give a gift and to continue to become. So. Excellent stuff, Kate. So what's the best way to handle any negative or sorrowful emotions that may come from storytelling? Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're working one-on-one, -on -one, I always say kind of lean into that. Allow that person to, to feel that emotion. Don't, don't shut it down. But also find ways to, to lighten the mood when you can. And, and not so much because you want to push down or push away those negative emotions, but because you also, you, will, you want to leave your connection on a higher note. Because again, that emotional memory, they, next time you see them, depending on where they are in their dementia journey, they may remember that negative place and then associate you with that negative place. Um, if you're working in a group, kind of keep an eye on, is that negative kind of stirring um, agitation with other people? Is it is it clashing with other people in the group and what they wanna share? Um, and I have found personally in those situations, it's best to acknowledge that, you know, say, oh my gosh, yes, I, I hear you, I see you and then inter insert your story. Um, if you're talking about you know, a certain time that maybe you weren't alive in, you likely have studied that in history or have heard stories from your family that you can share to kind of help bring everybody back together. And it's, it's one of those things you kind of have to feel out in the moment because you're gonna have to know those individuals um, and kind of who, um, if certain personalities in the group, like when you're in a care community, you can't choose who's going to be in the group. And you're going to, and it's, we're human beings. They're likely to be personalities that clash. Um, and so knowing that will help inform how and what story you share. But you can also anticipate that. And maybe when you're gathering, maybe have one person on one side of the room and another person on another side of the room and kind of not make clicks or groupings. Um, but kind of strategically place people so that, you know, you'll get to know the, the people who are friends and that maybe they support each other in the, within the community and make sure that they're paired up um, during that time. Because it's, you know, we are human beings. So you're, you're bound to, if you're leading a program um, for storytelling um, or another program that allows room for storytelling, you're bound to find those negative emotions because again, we are human beings. Um, and so finding ways to, um, and giving yourself permission to share your story to help kind of smooth that over, I found is the best way to, 
to handle that. Okay, you had mentioned, uh, let's, let's speak to the family caregivers. So if you have a family member with dementia and you'd mentioned objects like images. Are there other types of objects that you recommend for a family member when communicating with a family member with dementia? Yeah, um, I also like to say that storytelling isn't just our words. It's also creating collages. It's making sound. It's moving. Um, and so allowing for a lot of different types of storytelling is important. Um, one of the things that I have found is that tracing cookie cutters you know, we're, we're approaching Christmas, so they're probably, you know, right at hand, ready, you know, you know exactly where they are right now. If you have, say, um, a snowflake cookie cutter, go use taking that, obviously, you know, being aware of what materials you're using so you're not mixing toxic materials with this cookie cutter, you know, buying a cookie cutter specifically for, you know, you can get them sometimes for 50 cents a dollar. They're not expensive. Right. Um, and using it and kind of tracing it out or using it, just holding it in your hand and maybe start by the question of, do you remember using this cookie cutter? I'm looking forward to using it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to use it. What, what decorations did you use when you use this? Did you use more the blue or did you go more silver? Um, and again, you're going to know your loved one better than I can do in any hypothetical, hypothetical situation. Um, but using that to start a conversation, um, if a conversation you're at that point where it's it's not linear or they're not open to that conversation, um, using then that as a as a tool to to like trace it out, cut it out, and maybe maybe write down a few things that you remember of baking cookies with your mom at Christmas time. You know, writing you know even if it's just like a word poem. You know. Um, smells of cinnamon or um, playing in the snow. And it doesn't have to be related specifically to that cookie cutter. It could be, you know, that if it's a snowflake, well, you know, I grew up in Northeast Wisconsin, so snow is very much a part of winter. And so I have memories of playing in the snow and making snow angels for my grandmother to look out, you know, so when she was in her living room, she could see them. And so maybe it's you are sharing your stories and paying attention to how they are responding to that story and then on the other side you know maybe write down you know the date um the sh story that you shared and then how they reacted they had a smile on their face a tear fell down you know rolled down their cheek um and it becomes more something for you than for them and that is okay as well um, by allowing that to kind of be an ebb and flow of giving and who that story truly is for. Um, and you can then also use it as as a way to share stories via mail. Um, one thing that we've really discovered, especially during these last few months, I think that's kind of, you know, has, has a new life, is sending postcards and sending cards and letters in the mail. Maybe, maybe you make as many, trace out as many as you have family members. And with your loved one, you know, writing a little story or writing a little memory um, or creating a poem and then sending it out so that there is this point of connection and maybe maybe add in an extra one with an envelope and a stamp so they can send the story back. And so it becomes this continual process. Um, and so you can use cookie cutters. Um, if you have, you know, there's, we have a lot of different things in our lives that have stories, how we came to acquire a piece of furniture, a piece of jewelry, um, why we like 
a specific picture hung on our wall. Um, these are things that we can also use to inspire stories like, where did you get that, you know, that picture of that cardinal? Why, where did you get that? Why is that important to you? Which then translate, if that person were ever to need to go into a care community, when you open up and use objects in your home as prompts for stories and conversation, um, be it you create a story about who that cardinal is and, you know, where it's been or how they acquired it, you now know what's important to them and you know what objects to bring into the care community um, instead of assuming that, oh, that's just something that they've always had on their wall. It doesn't mean anything to them. You may uncover the fact that that was a gift from a college friend mm -hmm. and you know that person was then killed in a car accident and you miss them and they, this is something that means a lot to you. You, you know, means a lot to you know the, the individual. Um, and so it also allows to really get to know the person, okay, you know, yes, these are just things, but what's important and what can we carry with us when they need to downsize, when they need to move into an assisted living or a skilled care, um, or if they get to the point where, you know, they're on hospice and they're only in their bedroom, what objects can you bring into that room to help them feel comfort and, you know, remember some of the good things, again, you know, allowing that room for reminiscing when it can occur and when it is, you know, you're not forcing it, um, but then also using it as a creative object. Um, you know, imagine who might have sat in that chair before you acquired it at um, an estate sale, you know, when you're starting to, to build your home. All those things can, can come up. Do we know why people reminisce? You know, I've never really gone down the path of the actual why we reminisce. Um, there is a lot of, we know that part of how we process things is, you know, reflecting on our life. So we know that if we are in a tragic, you know, car accident where we, you know, we're in the hospital for months after it, we know that we'll replay that memory and that accident as a way to kind of make sense of it all. Um, in terms of like if someone were to remember their their friend's wedding or um, their own wedding or something like that will replay it as kind of a way to bring comfort and to remember some good things, to bring joy into a moment that might not really have a whole lot of joy. Um, and so we do know that we use it as a way to process and to understand the world around us. Um, but again, it can lead down to some very sorrowful ways, which again, right. sorrow and distress there, there are things that need to be acknowledged, but when you're working with someone with dementia, you don't necessarily want to live there. Again, if, if you're working with whether they have dementia or not, you don't want to live there. Um, you want to acknowledge it, allow them to process it, but you also want to allow the good things and the light to come in. And then maybe you, may, you can make connections between you know, the good and the bad that have happened, the trials and the triumphs of life. Excellent. This is great stuff. How can people find you? So they can find me by going to DementialLettersProject.com um, or if you're on social media, I'm at Dementia Letters across all social media. Um, another good way to get a hold of me is via email. And my email address is K-L-F-A-S-S-B-E-N-D-E-R 
at gmail.com. And so that's another good way. Um, and if you feel more comfortable via phone, um, my phone number is 920-284-5173. That's also a way that people can get a hold of me as well. Very good. Well, uh, as far as knowledgeable aging, this webinar, uh, like many of ours, will go on our YouTube page. Uh, we update the YouTube page at least uh, four to five times a week. I encourage you to subscribe. Also, if you're a podcast listener, uh, Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Tunes, uh, you can find us there as well. Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.